The following is a rebroadcast of an interview with Astoria icon Duncan Law. I talked with Duncan Law two years before his death in 2013 at the age of 92. Welcome to The Human Beat, a monthly program exploring the people and the cultures of our community, past and present. I'm Roger Rocca. Duncan Law is 90 years old. When he was a baby, his aunt and his single mother launched their beauty parlor by serving as beauticians to Astoria's bordellos. He worked his way through school in Astoria's canneries, and in the cannery dorms he learned that bedbugs can be quite resourceful. His story gives us a window into life in Astoria in the 20s and 30s, and the special hardships faced by the Chinese. After college, Duncan Law spent 44 years at Astoria's seafood lab, where his discoveries aided the Oregon fishing industry and made hatcheries viable on the Columbia River. My mother was the oldest girl uh, in the family. There were three of them, four of them. My maternal grandfather thought, well, uh, I'm going to marry her well. He decided that she should marry my father, George Gunlaw. He was a college graduate, uh, strangely enough, OSU graduate, but not Oregon State, but Ohio State. Uh, she didn't know him at all. When my father graduated, he decided to get a job. And in those days, it was very difficult for Chinese to get a job. Right. Uh, he came back to Portland, and uh, there was no jobs at all at least not for Orientals. And uh, so he decided he'd go back to uh, China with his diploma and flaunt that a bit. And he made uh, instant hit with the government back there because he was a college graduate from uh, U.S. and uh, with a degree. And so they hired him immediately as a horticulturist back there. My grandfather was a, a merchant and uh, he uh, was able to come with his wife mm -hmm. and that's how uh, my uh, other side of the family, uh, maternal side of the family, came over here. Uh, they have one son in that group. He was the first doctor in, in uh, this area he was at uh, OHSU, you know, where they have the medical school now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he graduated from there. My my mother came back to Portland, but she didn't go back to China because uh, uh, he was going to get a job first. And uh, after he had been there for a little while, his brothers told my mother that she had better go back there and see what was going on. She went back to Shanghai, I guess, and uh, I was conceived in Shanghai. The thing that really disturbed her when she went back there, she found that uh, my father had uh, taken a, a few concubines, mm -hmm. and of course, that just infuriated her, uh, being more American. Uh, she tried to convince him to come back to the 
the United States with me and the daughter. Mm -hmm. And he said, no. Uh, he liked that situation mm -hmm. back there. So my mother, my mother uh, decided to leave him, and that was really unusual for, for those days because uh, the Chinese just didn't separate. Well, my mother separated, and, and she was, I was born in, in Hong Kong. She fled to Hong Kong. She worked, she had some friends. And then I was born. And the strange thing, I was born on 2-22-21, which was, strangely enough, Washington's birthday. <laughs> Well, it sounds like your your mother had uh, had uh, was was an independent person. Very much was able so. Able to, to choose things for herself. And she she was what you would call a real uh, uh, go getter. Mm -hmm. And she decided that she'd come back to America. She came and settled in back and settled back in Portland, mm -hmm. where she, she was born, mm -hmm. and. She was a very entrepreneurial type of person, and she decided that uh, she looked around for a job, which would, even those days, was very difficult because women, uh, single mothers, would have a very hard time. And she looked around, and she was an excellent seamstress. Uh, she looked around and found that the sewing business was such that uh, she didn't like this sweatshop stuff that they would have to do if she took one of those jobs. Mm -hmm. So she went to um, beauty school in Portland and decided to be a beauty operator. Mm -hmm. And she did quite well when she graduated. And she liked it so well that uh, she taught her little younger sister, Minnie, uh, this uh, Minnie became so proficient at handling the curling iron and so forth that she contested the uh, state board mm -hmm. and uh, she, without going to school and uh, she passed it and became, she decided she'd become a beautician. But she didn't know where to go do either to, to start the business. But uh, Astoria was wild and woolly, yeah. and there was a, quite a business area, uh, bordellos or body houses, if you want to call them. So they wanted the, somebody to fix their hair. And my aunt Min uh, decided that would be the place to start her business. So she was doing uh, the women uh, of the night, uh, their hair, and uh, going down from one, up and down the stairs from one place to another. And she thought to herself, well, this isn't very smart. I might as well build, build my own beauty shop and they come to me. <laughs> and so she built a shop uh, on 8th Street across from the, the courthouse and it was called the Manetta Beauty Shop. She asked my mother if she wouldn't come down and uh, be her partner. Uh, 
So my mother came down, and and uh, that worked out very well. They, not only the body house ladies, but everybody else that came by through, and they gained quite a reputation. Well, this would have been when you were about two years old. Yeah. Too, too early for two, you three. to remember much, but what about your memories uh, as you were growing up here? What was that like for you growing up in Astoria? Oh, I, I, uh, I remember very well uh, the, uh, the schoolmates that I went from the first to the fifth grade. One of my good old friends is Ed Fury. I still see him. Uh, he comes up and see me, sees me once in a while yet. In the summer, I, summers I would come down and work in the canneries because... This was while you were going to college or going to school? No. When I was uh, going to high school, yeah. You going to high school? Okay. I was generally in the canneries. I was shooting uh, cans down the chute because uh, I, I was so little... They didn't want me to be where the big guys worked. About 1940, I had worked for CRPA for six years, and it was just really a tough grind. The Chinese people had to work in the cannery using uh, hand labor for all sorts of things. There were no jitneys or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we pushed the wheels around and carried ba carried uh, cans around. I never did like living down there. I didn't mind eating. We, we ate in a big uh, warehouse where at 7.30, no, at 6.30, when uh, everybody was uh, awakened by uh, the cook hitting on a great big saw, banging on it, and it would uh, resound for oh, blocks around. But uh, the people tumbled out of bed and, and uh, lined up to, after getting washed up and so forth, lined up to get the food to uh, feed the uh, uh, workers at the cannery. And Bumblebee was uh, used the most uh, labor, Chinese labor. I think uh, what happened was I got tired of bed bugs and fleas biting me all the time. And so I, I uh, quit the bunkhouse there and, and stayed in one of the boarding houses uh, in, in, in uh, Uniontown. And uh, rather interesting enough uh, was that when I first uh, went to work for Mumblebee, uh, I got off the uh, boat that brought the, uh, a lot of the cannery fellows to work in Astoria. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. And this guy said, follow me. So I carried my bag up with him to the top of the third floor and uh, here here was one room with a couple of bunks in it. There was uh, another uh, area there that had some boards and uh, four sawhorses. Mm -hmm. oh. And 
three uh, three planks. And the guy said, you sleep there. I took my uh, bag out and laid my blankets on the bag. And, and the guy suddenly said, oh, I show you. I fix for you. He, he went downstairs and pretty soon he came back up with, uh, I guess it was eight cans, big flats mm -hmm. that would fit over the uh, legs of the sawhorses. Uh, old sawhorses were sitting in uh, tins, rather, of uh, kerosene. And I thought, wow. This guy's making a funeral bureau for me. And I asked him, what's that for? He said, you see. And I went to, went on making the bed and wondering whether I'd be caught, in, whether I'd catch on fire in the middle of the night or not. Uh, nothing happened and I woke up the next morning and holy smoke, there were two or three uh, bed bugs in each sack almost. Uh, one of them didn't have any, I remember. Uh, but the others all had bed bugs in them. So it was a pretty effective way of yeah. keeping them away. And, and I, thought, I thought, boy, this guy knows what he's doing. But the next night, I was sleeping, uh, I went to sleep. It wasn't hard to fall asleep because they worked you so darn hard. Mm -hmm. uh, so I fell asleep there and, and all of a sudden something dropped on my head and I like that and it was splat you know and it was a bed bug and I jumped out of bed and looked around and there's a, a small a highway of, of bed bugs that went over the top of the ceiling up to where approximately my bed head was and then apparently what happened they would drop off and they would fall in my head. And holy smoke, I said, gee, this is terrible. Anyway, I stayed there for maybe about three years, and they opened a, a bunkhouse too, which uh, wasn't quite so uh, buggy. <laughs> and uh, I, I moved over there. So at that time, the cannery would work with a contractor. Yeah. The contractor would provide the labor yeah. for the cannery. Mm -hmm. What was the pay like? Uh, the, pay, the pay was very small. Yeah. I, I recall that I worked all summer and only made $65 a month, I think. And oh. uh, they uh, uh, worked about 10 hours a day. Mm. And then half a day on Saturdays, I guess it was. And I recall that uh, your overtime, which everybody wanted, was was time and a half. Mm -hmm. So we all wanted more overtime, but it wasn't too. We didn't get it too often. But in those days, the salmon was just all over the place, and uh, it was so thick on the floor that some years when the salmon runs were very uh, high. We'd have to uh, really work late and, and start early in the morning to keep up with the runs. And in those days it was really uh, labor-intensive mm -hmm. because 
Uh, they didn't have uh, automatic de-headers. Uh, they finally got automatic de-headers, and uh, they uh, had gang knives, and the butchers would butcher the fish, and the guys would take uh, the fish down and grate them, and the gang knife guys would cut the fish into the right size and deliver them to the fillers. I worked there until 1940. One of the bosses there came to me and said, we're going to transfer you over to Ilwaco. And I thought, well, gee, that is kind of a raunchy deal. What are they trying to do? I told him, uh, you can't forced me to go to uh, El Waco. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> and and uh, I said some some things in Chinese that weren't very nice either. You learn more Chinese yeah. by that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I stomped out of there and then I got back to the uh, place where I was staying in, in Uniontown and cried my eyes out because I thought, oh, that was really stupid, because I, what I did was throw my college education out. See, I, I was already in college then. I worried about that for a long time. When I went, I decided to, to start college. Start college anyway. Uh, I mean, continue college. Mm -hmm. And when I went back there, it was my uh, sophomore year. In those days, it was cheap to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, tuition was about $400 a year, and uh, room and board was uh, a little over, oh, about $35 a month. Mm -hmm. We had just about given up going to college when Pearl Harbor happened. Mm -hmm. And it just came like a ton of bricks, you know. It happened that uh, uh, Point Adams down the way here hired all Japanese for their crew. And so they hired Ed Lee uh, for, for their Chinese uh, gang master. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the first thing you know, he heard that I had, uh, that I had quit Bumblebee. So he hurried up and phoned me and asked if I wouldn't work for him. And I just was was happier than a clam, you know, <laughs> at low tide. So uh, I was able to finish school with the uh, small money uh, that I had made uh, during the, the, uh, the, that season. After, after the winter uh, semester, I worked for um, Point Adams, and uh, they were an excellent place, place to work because they even paid better salary than what the Bumblebee did. And I worked there till I graduated, uh, and that uh, was back in 1944 when I graduated.
Sounds like you had a little bit of that same independent streak your mother had. Oh. <laughs> and it turned out well for you. <laughs> well, it, it certainly did. And, uh, I, you know, it's extremely lucky. Uh, my wife isn't here. But we, when I went to work down at Boyd Adams, oh, uh, Ed Lee was the person that hired everybody. And he had four daughters. And uh, I was very fortunate to marry one of the one of his daughters. Well, that worked out well for you in yeah, every way. It worked out all, 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 always, yeah, 44. Mm -hmm. was, now, what did you major in in school? How did that uh, come together? Well, I uh, was majoring in chemistry, and uh, I look back at it now, and gee, if you were, if you majored in chemistry, you had to get at least a, a master's in order to get a job mm -hmm. of any consequence. Uh, so uh, I went ahead and tried to find another another major. Uh, I thought about uh, uh, microbiology and took quite a bit of that. And I thought, well, maybe biology would be pretty good. And I took quite a bit of that. I took uh, courses in physics. And uh, every one of them turned out pretty good because after four years I didn't have any major. So uh, the thing, the only thing I could graduate, and I, I, I was running out of money then, the only thing I could graduate was in was uh, general science. Mm -hmm. And boy, that just fit in like a glove. And the seafood lab was extremely interested but they didn't have very much money to pay people. They sent a fella up, Professor Russell Sinuber, to find some person from Oregon State that wanted a job in fisheries in Astoria. And boy, oh boy, I took I took one look at that and I said that would be the case, the job for me because even though, say, if I wanted to work in the shipyards in Portland or uh, some other job in, in Portland, uh, 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 they would be much ha higher paying, but uh, uh, they didn't offer the interest in, to me. Mm -hmm. And the uh, interest in work to me was the most important. And so when I when they offered this job of uh, work at the Seafood Lab, I jumped because that's exactly what I wanted. And you kind of rose through the ranks there. Yeah, and uh, I was hired as research assistant at first, mm -hmm. and I gradually rose up from research assistant to assistant prof and associate prof and full prof and then uh, prof. Of, actually, I got uh, Prof Emeritus now. Well, that turned out to be a good thing for you, and but a very good thing for the seafood lab and for the seafood industry because you accomplished a great deal. Yes, I, I, I think I have. When we first started, uh, we worked on uh, fish livers. And uh, I wrote a paper on fish livers of, off the Oregon coast, and we took every fish that we could uh, to uh, 
look at the vitamin A level of those fish. And uh, vitamin A was such an important vitamin because in the war they needed for pilots to fly. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese were, uh, were at war with us, so they have, uh, wouldn't sell us any vitamin A. And uh, the Germans are sinking all the uh, ships from uh, Norway and so, uh, and, and that area there. So we weren't getting any vitamin A from that area. So all of a sudden they found that uh, shark livers had a lot of vitamin A in it. And a few other fish over here all had vitamin A in their livers. So liver fishing, uh, fish liver fishing, became quite profitable. We're talking with Duncan Law, whose research at the OSU Seafood Laboratory in Astoria resulted in the Oregon moist pellet, which is still used in salmon rearing worldwide. He tells us about that development. The uh, uh, hatcheries were all using um, salmon viscera. And it seemed like in most places, wherever they put a hatchery, it began to uh, drop in their egg take. And many of the places uh, didn't uh, ever make their egg take. They were thinking about closing those down. And I thought for a darn long time, why, why was this uh, salmon viscera not working by uh, developing a method uh, because of, I had a lot of microbiology, uh, I, I uh, knew that if you uh, shot uh, the uh, milk through pipes where they were, uh, the pipes were surrounded by uh, the temperature that would destroy the um, bacteria, uh, pathogens, but not necessarily all of them, but just the pathogens. Mm -hmm. uh, it would work pretty good and the fish would like it. The other, the other way they did it uh, bef before uh, I figured that method out, nothing seemed to uh, appeal to the fish. And this uh, method we used to pasteurize the fish uh, viscera, uh, particularly salmon viscera, well, they thought that was really the cat's meow because it certainly made uh, the fish uh, grow better because we were pasteurizing the fish and, and the uh, material that uh, the pathogens that were making the fish sterile really worked, really worked. Mm -hmm. And so, matter of fact, I, the, the way I knew that we were doing a good thing was because the Fish and Wildlife, uh, Federal Fish and Wildlife people had a meeting and I was uh, one of the guest speakers at, at this talk, at this meeting. Uh, they said they were about to close most of the hatcheries on the, on the Columbia because they were making their egg take. Mm -hmm. Kinda assumed that every area that they put uh, a hatchery on seemed to decrease in uh, uh, eggs mm -hmm. after a few years. Just making things worse, yeah. in a way, rather than better, yeah. And, and, 
and they didn't realize that the uh, raw viscera was the one that was causing the trouble. Well, you worked for the seafood lab for somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years, right? I worked for uh, them until I retired in 84. 84. Well, Duncan Law, I have very much enjoyed talking with you and uh, having you share some of your, your story with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. The preceding was a rebroadcast of a 2011 interview with the late Duncan Law. 